0: Thanks, Deb. We're going to get into that uh, scripture and hopefully see what the Lord has. And as I read that scripture, you know, it's the famous, let's make our uh, guns into instruments for gardening or farming. Most of us Christians, because we've lived and seen, go, yeah, that's going to happen way, way in the future when the Lord comes again. And my question to you is, is it? Well, we'll get there. Housekeeping first. I'll leave you with that, right? We'll look at what the scriptures have to say. Real quick, again, lots going on. Uh, me and a handful of people from our church did a recon mission on Friday night. You know what a recon mission is? You go out and you uh, get information. You see what's going on. And so San Carlos had their festival of winter night lights on Friday. Um, and there was like 3,000 people there at least. And there was like 1,000 kids And they were all over the place. And um, we got to take some invitations with candy canes and information about our church and just engage with people. So church, next year in 51 weeks, I'm asking all of you to come on not a recon mission, but a mission next Friday in December. We'll work all that out next December. You know what I mean? Like the next December, first Friday. Because it is amazing. I talked to a couple people from the city, and they're willing for us to partake in any way. So we'll be thinking and praying if you have a niche, a craft, or if you're good at making world famous grilled cheeses, I can do that and give them away, but we can do something to lower our community and let them know we're here and let them know about Jesus, the one we sing about, the one we are waiting for. It is the second Sunday of Advent. I'll be lighting this candle sometime toward the communion table and we're recognizing peace not a whimsical Deepak Chopra piece, I'm not offending Deepak, that's kind of what he's into, fine be it. But a piece of heart, soul, mind, and planet. Because as you saw in the scripture, for the Christians, that's offered. We'll get there when the prophet Isaiah says what? They will not learn literally the art of war anymore. And again, most of us hear that and go, that'll be the day. Well, I'm here to tell you for the Christian, today is now, and we'll learn at that. Um, There's lots more information. We have our white elephant gift exchange. I'll pray and get really preaching. Next Sunday, please sign up. Bring a used gift. I told you last week, the best one I ever saw, I'm not condoning it, was a clean, used toilet, (laughs) because it was in like a dishwasher box, so everyone thought, oh, this is going to be great, and the person popped it open and just walked away. So, so I'm, I don't want to see a clean, used toilet, but use your imagination. We'll be in, the right, in Wright Hall at 6 p.m. Uh, on uh, next Sunday. Bring a, sign up, bring a side dish, bring a, bring a gift. And I'll really highlight uh, December 14th for you ladies. You ladies just had an awesome event yesterday. Is the Women's Christmas Ornament Exchange. It will be right in this very room. Come join the ladies at 7 o'clock. It'll be fun. If you need more info on that, talk to Kim, and she'll be willing to say, come on down. It's a great night. Let me pray, and we'll preach. Isaiah, you guys are a little bit interested. That's good. Father, help me and help us. Thank you for your son's table. Thank you for the chance to remember him the way he wanted to be remembered, bringing peace to earth through his blood on the cross, and then commissioning us to say, go live peacefully if at all possible. Help me now, in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah was a bit of a weird guy. We think he had some royal bloodlines. His father was Amos. He was in and around Jerusalem, Southern Kingdom, and he was a poet, but a prophet. He wrote some songs, but he was prophesying. And sometimes when we hear the word prophecy, I was on Facebook at 6 a.m. this morning. The pastor tells you to get off Facebook. But there was a prophet on Facebook that I linked over and saw some things, and it was garbage, I'm just telling you, it's garbage. Do this X, Y, and Z, and you will be blessed tenfold in 2017. You will be a millionaire. That's not what prophets do. I'm just letting you know. Okay? Biblical prophecy is much more about telling God's truth with a vision of reshaping the here and now, pointing us to the age to come. That's what biblical prophets do. In the Old Testament, remember what? God's nation was doing great. They would have some bad leaders and do some bad things, and God would send prophets to what? Critique the nation. Hey guys, remember your first love. Hey guys, don't disparage the foreigner. Hey guys, why are you going to war? The Lord is not with you. Now the Lord was with them sometimes. So prophets would come and critique. They were poets and songwriters. They were hardly ever kings or presidents. Hear that church. Prophets were usually, when the king or the leader had enough, we know what happens to prophets, right? You know what happened to Isaiah, Jewish tradition tells us? He was sawed in half by Manasseh. Now, I've been mad at people in my life. How mad, how irate, how insecure, I'll say it, do you have to be to saw someone in what? Why not just let him go to the wilderness, right? (laughs) Go have fun. So Isaiah, at the end of his ministry, was critiquing so much that the king at the time, Manasseh, was a bad dude. Check him out. He wasn't the best. He was a very wicked king, maybe the most wicked. He had enough. But what Isaiah did throughout his book was he, for the people living then and for us, and in a way the age to come, but I think we lean too much there sometimes because it can be a bit of a scapegoat. We'll go through that in a sec. He reimagined life the way God would have his people to live, by grace. It's not a working into a great civilization or community, but because of the grace of Yahweh in the Old Testament, and now because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we are to live differently here and now in preparation for the age to come. That's the Bible, Quickly, Isaiah 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days. That's where we get really messed up. There's some cults that use this phrase. There's some other things going on. But we tend to hang on to latter days, which is somewhere out there. I'll read it again. It shall come to pass or it shall be done that in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Quickly, we might be thinking about heaven or the second coming of Christ. Maybe, maybe not. I might be wrong. Wrong. Verse three, and many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. We spent six months studying the ways of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and he taught us for six months to walk in his paths. Bells should start going off right now, church. Okay? For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse four. He, God, shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes of many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. In verse five, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. I know, I'm with you. When I hear house of Jacob, and when I hear Zion, I check out, because I'm an American Christian. Anybody there with me? I go, I'll never know what that means. I'm not Jewish, I'm out. That's the scapegoat easy way out of what God might be trying to tell us all, right? Don't do that. Let's see what Isaiah is doing. Again, I woke up sailor. Sorry, sailor. I was too loud. I'll talk like this. As I said, as I said this type of poem was not welcomed in Isaiah's day. His ministry was most likely between 740 B.C. and around 700. That's 40 years. And he wrote some amazing things. But like I said, he ended up being tortured and executed because of the things he was writing. The heart of this poem or song was, there's a day coming where God's going to do away with violence and war, and what we used to kill each other we will now use to cultivate humanity. That's what got him killed. That's what got him killed things like that. And he told the future Messiah, the suffering servant, all these great things. He told people to repent of their sin, which simply means turn away and return home. Go back to God. For those of you who have repented, under salvation, I get that, but for those of you who screw up and simply say, Lord, I'm sorry, maybe daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, and return to your heavenly Father, what does his hand always do? Here it is. Come. Come. Back, home, (laughs) That's what Isaiah was calling people to do. But it didn't end well for him per se, but it did because he was faithful. Rather than going along with the times, Isaiah was governed by the Holy Spirit to write prophetically and he was writing to people just like us where violence and war and dispute might not be in our town, per se, but it's all around, right? All we see. All we hear about. Isaiah makes a poignant metaphor or analogy. He says, there is a day coming when God is going to act, and he will call for taking what is used to kill and destroy and changing them into instruments for cultivation and growth. Modern day, Isaiah would have been writing, God will act and he is going to take the electric chair and make it into a hospital bed in the l d He is going to take something that is used to take away life and he's gonna reimagine and reconfigure and use the same material. That's where the, that's where the crux is. And make it in a bed in the labor and delivery department of Sequoia Hospital. That's bigger, right? Than just plowshares and hooks. Now, God isn't gonna eradicate those materials. This is the gospel. God started over once. Remember the flood? I'm done, we're starting over. God has promised not to start over again. He's rather promised to send his son to pay the price for sin so that by receiving him by faith, we receive grace and now can come up with the mind to go, what was used for death, I'm gonna now use for cultivation. That passage gets bigger and broader, right? Because your wheels are spinning. That's what God is saying through this poet, songwriter, Isaiah. This is amazing. And in this second Day of Advent, season of Advent, we are going to celebrate peace or come and look at peace. This is ultimate peace between God and man, the death of Jesus Christ. We will talk about that when we take the Lord's Supper. But in receiving that grace, he now, even in the New Testament, when at all possible, it's usually possible. I'm not, we'll have coffee about when the theories of hypotheticals, what if this and what if that? But he calls us to Seek peace. Isaiah is writing and envisioning a place where people are less concerned with conquering one another and more concerned with walking the extra mile for one another. So to prove to princes and principalities, I am under no law as a Christian. The only law I am under is the law of love given to me through Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah is getting at. He's foreshadowing Jesus. You know that. You're smart. Let me say it again, because you're like, oh, this is just the Bible. It's not me. That's what the Bible says. I'm a dunce. That's why I have a job here, because God wants to speak through a dunce so you would go. This is 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, actually. I am relying on the power of God, not that nice guy I call my pastor, Dave, because I know he's a dunce. But what Isaiah is getting at, he is putting forth a prophetic word from God in a way so that people and hearers might reimagine the picture of God will act. And when God acts, I am under grace, not law, so I can walk the extra mile. I can forgive seven times 70. I can not be controlled by lust anymore so that when I invite people to church or just hang out at work, I can say, I am not under law I am freed, I am under the law of love given to me through Jesus Christ, what can I do for you? That's prophetic utterance. We're scared of prophetic because people do so much harm to it in the name of God, right? But what Isaiah is doing is he is showing us the reimagined world through Jesus Christ. I'm smart enough not to get into geopolitical discussions about war and countries from the pulpit. You should go, Amen. But how does it impact me and you this Christmas season, right? That's what we should want to know. Now, quickly, why is there so much turmoil? Why is there so much war? Why is there so much bloodshed? There is a thing in all of us and in the scriptures called original sin. We are off. From the beginning, human beings have fallen and there is a sin nature in every human. There are also principalities in the world that have sway and pull. If you don't believe me, you know the largest grossing moneymaker on the internet. You know what it is? pornography, and four-tenths of that, 40%, is child pornography. People are evil as a whole, not you, but we're evil, right? That's all I need to say. we we'll stop anybody's argument there. This amazing tool of the internet, most grossed thing is wicked. Princes, the prince of darkness, Satan, sometimes we give him too much credit, but we must acknowledge him. These forces have sway. We see it all over the world. We see it in most governments. And Isaiah, in his writing, critiques that mainly. Critiques it. Would princes and principalities want Christians to truly turn their enemies or items that are used for destruction into cultivation? No. No. That's what shakes the core of princes and principalities. Violence and destruction is the world's number one moneymaker. It's the truth. Just do a little research and your heart will break. War and genocide and things that are really hard to explain is the number one moneymaker globally. The taking, the tormenting, the abusing of human life, lots of money in it. And Isaiah gives to us a prophetic utterance almost 800 years ago to say, when God acts, there is another way if you want it. That's the caveat, Christians, if we want it. Isaiah's hardcore. That's one of the reasons he was done with, right? I got off on a little bit of a tangent. Let me get back on. This represents the Christmas story. I will confess, it's not completely 100% accurate. We have a couple gospels to pull from, some Old Testament passages. This is what we think it looked like. So it's a representation, right? It's an icon, right? You with me? Could Isaiah have ever have dreamed of this scenario? No. A bit. He wrote some things Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9 will be there in a couple of weeks. He saw some things about a child and government, but he could have never dreamed of this. Isaiah could have never known what we know, church. Isaiah could have never known fully of the virgin who would give birth, of the son who was God who would rise and teach and fulfill and say, for years the prophets have been telling you about this reimagined world. Here it is. Isaiah, though a prophet and though doing wonderful things, ultimately his demise, would have died to live when we live, to know the full story of how God would act. But this is the hard part. Go to verse five. You're there. Thank you. Oh, house of Jacob. I'm gonna replace that. I'm not being a heretic. Oh, believers in Christ. Even though it was written 800 years almost before he came Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. We think of Advent, the best metaphor I've seen is, it's like a long night coming to daybreak, and we've used that story. You guys have known that I've camped or been cold. You're waiting for the sun. Christ has come, light has come, and because of his great life and his death and his glorious resurrection and his ascension, we can now walk in the light of the Lord. And we can, in small parts, walk into the reimagined way Isaiah prophesied about. Dave, I don't have guns and spears. Okay. If you do, fine. Just be responsible. (laughs) You got a tongue. And most of us have keyboards. Oh, he always goes there. That's our culture. I'll finish up and we'll get to the Lord's table. I want you to see Isaiah and what he's doing and how prophetic he is being in a good way, not the weird, creepy Facebook way. Guys, you wanna go to James 3? Like I said, we'll be in James in the beginning of the year. So if you you wanna, this is sometimes in James. Sometimes when I read James, I'm like, this is great, this is great. Oh, because he's talking about me. So if you want a four-month break from church, no, I'm kidding, don't ever do that. But we'll be there for the few, first few months before Easter because we're gonna be like, this is wonderful, this is amazing, especially in what we might have learned of Jesus and his teaching. But once in a while, we're gonna go, what? Oh. So James three, verse five, do we have it? I wanted to make and try and make as we close a parallel between spears, swords, and us. Because if I ever have a spear or sword run because I'll hurt myself first, and then I'm probably you. I'm not that good at it, right? But James writes this to Churches and people and Christians. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. In my marriage and dealing with my children, what is my most powerful weapon? This six ounce piece of flesh. Isn't that crazy? I weigh much more than six ounces, and yet... This six-ounce piece of flesh can create all types of evil. This little piece of flesh can be a weapon of war. You know I'm right, because most of you are in a relationship. Most of you have lived a while, right? How do I create a great divide between me and my 13-year-old? I'll tell you how I do. I say something at 8.45 at night. She snaps back at me. She's not here today, so I can say this. I snap back at her and slice her with my tongue, which is probably true, and I say, I'll see you in the morning. War's on. I have just negated what Paul said in Ephesians 4. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And what he really says is, don't give princes and powers and human beings ability to make a mountain out of a... How do I come with peace, even if I've done that? I go with the same weapon, I go into a room, I say, "I am sorry." I blew it. I take her hand, I wipe tears away if there's tears, probably what I'm doing. I pray with her, I reaffirm my love for her, and I will say, "We will talk about this in the morning." That's why this reimagining of this gospel life is so pertinent to every area of our life. Look at the next verse. Just in case we didn't know. But you're human, so you know. I'll say it in the James Version. Church, on this side of the... Christ and his work and his blood and his mercy and his grace and his offer of forgiveness and salvation, we'll say, or new life in Jesus, take your tongue, which is often used to slice and dice and prove your rights, and turn it into a vehicle, which is for relationship, restoration, encouragement, and grace. There's the New Testament version. Oh, the best sermons aren't preached by me, but once in a while, Jesus shows up, the real living God, and he does what he does with you, his children. He's doing that now, so receive it. Don't be freaked out by it. The best thing we can do in this Advent season when we're looking at peace, I asked you last week to pray if you're not praying in the morning a little bit. Read the Gospels. I hope you're doing that. Now I'm putting in another... Stack on the foundation. Use this week with these verses in mind. I had others, we don't have time, to say I'm gonna take what sometimes I wanna slice and dice people with, or what do we do now? Keyboards, right? And I'm going to, by God's grace, the gospel message, the death of Christ has allowed me and given me the power to reform that thing into a piece of flesh which will encourage seek reconciliation, speak grace. Sometimes the best thing we can do with this little thing sometimes is to go like this. And then if we want to type, we go, I'm good. It's up to you, God, what do you want to do here? Amen? You roll. This is higher than my pay grade, right? That's what we say to the Lord sometimes. I was uh, setting up lights on Friday with Holland, my three-year-old, she did a great job, too. She did that whole front, no lie. She pulled the lights out. I was so proud of her. She got ice cream on a softy. What am I going to do? Okay. It was actually a bribe, probably. So, And I saw in our parking lot back here, I saw two cars nose to nose, hood to hood. I go, okay, that's cool. And then I just heard a horn. You ever hear a horn for like more than five seconds? You know something's about to go crazy. So I heard a horn for more than five seconds. I'm like, oh, okay. And I peek over, and there's a large... Gentleman who gets out of his car and just starts speaking like sailors speak. I don't know, he's not a sailor, but that's, that's the verbiage. And then he starts pushing the other car. And I'm like, my, my first reaction was, well, I should get my phone and videotape this. <laughs> that's not being what I'm preaching about. That's what God does when I preach. So he's like, here's, here's a case example. And then he goes more, and I look in the other car, and it's a retired age woman. And so now my blood starts to boil. I'm like, come on, bro. Like if it was a, a guy my size and we could hang, we could argue, but are you, and she's starting to take a picture and starting to freak out and he does this and then he does, just this whole thing. And so it was over a parking spot, duh. And so a parking spot open, she leaves kind of shaking and he pulls in. He sees me watching the whole thing and then he in some way tries to justify it. I'd say, I'd say, But why I was proud is there was another member of our church who was doing the same thing I was doing and he was seeking to be a minister of peace and reconciliation. The only reason I tell that story is you're gonna have things like that this week where you can use what sometimes naturally come as weapons of this to let God reconfigure them and be a peaceful agent. And say, hey, hey, let's step back. Let's, let's calm down. Let's, uh, let's be led by the Lord. And last verse, Isaiah 2.5 again. We can live out this verse. This is the verse of our Advent week two. Isaiah 2.5, they'll get there in a sec. Don't be dismayed by the house of Jacob. What Isaiah was imagining has come in the form of a baby. This baby lived a great life. He obeyed his parents. He spoke in the temple at 12 and said amazing things. He walked up in a synagogue in Luke chapter 4 and said some things, quoted Isaiah 40 and 41, and said, What? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. Literally, the one who he was writing about is here. And he ministered for maybe 30 months, give or take. And he was eventually convicted of high treason. And he was put to death on a death instrument in which he, by his grace, reconfigured into an instrument who saves lives now, the cross of Christ. Amen? This whole thing is wide open. Let's see it this holiday season. We are going to celebrate the Lord's table who has brought us peace. And I will light this second candle of Advent which hope and peace... If the music team wants to come back up, I'll close in prayer. After I pray, if our ushers who are serving communion can come up, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We are going to pass the elements. One song. There's going to be a brief pause. I'll lead us and we'll worship together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this poet, prophet, in some ways rabble-rouser of good news Uh, 700 years or so before your son came. Thank you for his great reimagination of the things to come. Father, give us the grace to be people of faith who would not just pass that off to another age, but see the joy it is to walk in those ways now. Father, as we remember you the way your son would have us remember him, may you be worshipped and may you be loved. Thank you for your son and his death. In Jesus' name, amen.